Hey there, you're listening to Making Spaces, the podcast about community, culture, and making new connections, hosted by my good Judy, my friend and yours, Sarah Heath. On this podcast, we're having conversations about design, literally making spaces, and how some of the most inclusive spaces aren't always the most inviting. And we're talking about what it means to make space for one another. With the world the way it is right now, we need to find ways to have conversations across lines of radical difference. So join Sarah each week as she tackles the intersection of design and practical spirituality with conversations with some of the most fabulous guests you're ever going to meet. Some will talk about actual design. Some of us will talk about relational design. But no matter what, it's an incredible time. So grab yourself a cup of whatever you like, and welcome to Making Spaces with Sarah Heath. We stop resisting, right? Because I think we we think that when we know the outcome, we actually think that we are in control, but we're actually in resistance to the next thing. And it can feel safer to be in control of an unhealthy pattern than not in control of a potentially healthy new pattern. Friends, today I'm excited to introduce to you my friend, Elise Snipes. Elise is bringing a lot of goodness into the world. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She hosts a podcast called TrailerCast, and she's also the founder of Radical Wellness Collaborative, which is an online platform for modern holistic wellness. She's also an incredibly dynamic speaker and space maker. I would suggest to you that you might want to have something to write down for this episode because I found myself taking notes and re-listening to the episode a couple of times. So stick around till the end for the inspirational quote and this week's takeaway. So I'm so excited to have you on here um, and just to talk to you because not only is your work something that inspires me, but where you work from, and I'm going to ask lots of questions, inspires me (laughs) and just who you are. So I would love to know... Where is your favorite space? And I always give this disclaimer because so many of my friends are like me where favorite is a super hard word. Yes. Um, so where's a space you like? It can be anywhere, your home, internationally, literally like anywhere. Where is your favorite space? And do you mind telling me what you love about it? Totally. Yeah, I I got stumped by favorite as well. So I was like, favorite? Like I have to narrow it down to one? And then I'm like, okay, at least just break it down. Like, where do you like? <laughs> first thing that First thing that comes up. Um, and I do, I think it's my trailer. It's like, it's this, I have this 1953 Bulls Arrow vintage trailer and it's my favorite space to be. Um, I want you to send me pictures of it because I really want to use it for, uh, (laughs) yeah, just to show folks just how incredible it is. And you can look at that on my Instagram, but I, yeah. So what do you love about it other than it, that it's incredible? I, okay. I love that it is like it's a story in and of itself like it's been so many things it has had so many owners it was been a hot dog stand (laughs) it's like it's it's had a a lot of lives and i like the idea that it's almost like a time capsule and that it can continue to be anything so like i use it as an office to um, i provide therapy for people in person remotely i use it to write and to create and to podcast and I like my husband and I, we, we rebuilt the whole thing from scratch. It was like, it was disgusting when we got it. We drove to Oregon and picked it up. And so I like. Of course it it's from like, Oregon. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Right. Totally. Yeah. But there's endless potential. And I like the idea that it's got a bit of a gypsy soul. And I, I, feel I love that. Like I crave 
an untamed life like the uh, that we could pick up and go but in having a, a job and three kids and they go to school like there's things that have really rooted us I feel like there's a part of me that always wanted to maintain this mobility that we could just go anywhere in this thing so the, the trailer represents a little bit of my own gypsy soul I think and I love that you um you did you redid the entire interior mm-hmm. and it, the colors and such that you chose are like really uh like bright whites and mm-hmm. um just pops of colors here and there but the couch is just inviting it's the first thing you see um and I love that for meeting with clients and yes. you take it to different spaces right for yeah. meeting with people mm-hmm. yeah I really I thought it's the way that therapy has been done for so many years feels so archaic to me and so I'm like, oh, gosh, if we could just do it a little bit differently, what would that look like? And so I'm like, what if we had an office that could go to people? And what if it could be like a response unit? And what mm. if I could pull up to places like when there's been a huge incidental trauma? Um, like the, So the Vegas shooting was right when I was building the trailer. And I'm like, gosh, if this was done, I could pull this there. And there'd be like fresh, clean, safe office space for people instead of what they usually do. Big responses are like on a cot where there's a thousand people around you. Um, so I wanted it to be something that was versatile. I mainly park it at the beach because I feel like it's therapeutic in and of itself to listen to the waves and to kind of be right on the edge. So I love that. And I love that you um, built it with your hands. I think for me, mm-hmm. when I think about the things that I've restored or I've built, they just hold such a different meaning before um, we started. I told you, I was asking kind of, we're in the midst of the COVID thing. So I was asking, you asked me where I was recording from. And I asked you if you normally record from your trailer. (laughs) And I said, I I do, I record at home. And that's because the space where I have created for my desk space, most people would have a dining room. I I live in a fairly small um, apartment. It's not actually that small, but it's sort of more condo-esque. And it's definitely got like a cool 1960s vibe I joke around that the outside of my building looks a little bit like the Golden Girls but um, (laughs) I love it Um, and I love that what most people use as a dining room I've turned into my little office space and I put wallpaper up and um, everything's just kind of right here and it's just sort of when I'm sitting in this chair Mm -hmm. um, this is where I create that's so right. whether podcasting or writing sermons or reading or this is the spot that my brain goes, okay, this is your space to create. So I love that in some ways your trailer has become, this is a space yes. where people come to heal. Yes. It, and I identify so much with the work that you do, Sarah, because I feel like there's, a, there's an external and an internal restoration. There's such a parallel point of gosh, when I get in there with my hands and we do this work, whether we are literally stripping down this trailer and re-envisioning what it can be or whether we're doing that with a story, right? And someone's experiences. And if we can take it down to the studs and, and look and see like what's actually foundationally going on here and then what do we want it to be? And I think that potential energy, when we think about the way in which we heal, that feels limitless to me. I love to think of it as a room, as a room mm-hmm. that you're... Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes we think of ourselves as like a stagnant room. Right. Like there's a room um, as if like our, okay, I got to work this stuff out. Whereas like, no, I need to like dig through this stuff and restore. Yes. Um, and I don't have to do it alone. I can do it with other people. And there's parts mm-hmm. of my room that I don't want to show people. You know, I'm mm-hmm. always encouraging people to clean out closets and um, get to the stuff that they don't want to do. Because I think yes. there is this emotional 
weight. I love Marie Kondo's work. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when she first came out because um, one of my good friends who every year I would come and help her organize her home, she said, this is what you've been doing and saying. And I was like, finally, somebody else is saying it. But the idea that like our mental and spiritual yes. and our, just our wholeness can be affected by the way that this. we hold on to things. Oh my goodness. Well, it's it's, the, it's all metaphor, like the way right. I look at it, right? It's all metaphor. So the way I, in which I hold on to, air quotes, my junk drawer, mm-hmm. I mean, what metaphorically am I holding on to as far as my junk memories or my junk experiences or my junk patterns? Um, so I definitely believe that we we do it all pretty similarly. <laughs> yeah, it all has to be worked through. I mean, yeah. I used to watch the show Hoarders um, (laughs) because (laughs) to me there was just this really interesting thing that I wanted to understand psychologically was happening Mm -hmm. for people Mm -hmm. and it was never about the stuff and I've actually um, done two interventions with people as a pastor um, in their space Wow! and um, one of them it was so interesting the reactions she was having to getting rid of things Um, Mm. And I think that was one of it was early on in my career, the first time that I did that, I realized like, wow, she has a connection to these things in a way that um, mm-hmm. I would have a connection to a person. Correct. And it, I'm it, taking her security when I yes. ask her to get rid of it. Yes. And then there's the option of replacement, right? Like it, it's, it's it, that's why it is all metaphor. So like when Marie Kondo says, does this spark joy? And that would, she's trying to help us form new attachments. So that way, the person who is holding on to the attachment of whatever the things are, but does it bring joy? And if not, can you can still hold on to things? By all means, hold on to things, but may they be things that spark joy rather than your pain or your emptiness or your lack. Yeah. And then maybe create things that mm-hmm. do spark joy. I mean, yeah. There's always that moment when you're redoing or remaking or finishing out a space where you're like, this is not what I wanted. (laughs) Always. Totally. Right? I mean, always. I just, uh, while we've been realizing that we're going to have to shelter in place, Mm -hmm. I... One of the things that I had ordered a long time ago is when I first moved into this place, my friend built this amazing bench. Um, This used to be my friend's home, her and her husband, and she had built this really cool bench. And um, it had pillows, but the pillows had gotten so air and sun and uh, probably airplane pollution where they just were kind of like hard. And I noticed I never wanted to sit outside because it took so much to like Mm. clean them off. So I was like, all right, I'm going to order new pillows. And I had spoken at an event and someone sent a gift card to say thank you, which was so kind. So I I had this gift card to Amazon. I was like, this is what I'm going to get these pillows. And it's so funny how I tried... I don't want to even tell you how many times I brought different pillows home and it was like, this is not the right pillow. But once, you know, once you get the yes. space right, it's almost, there is that metaphor of when you're doing inner work or soul yeah. work or even, you know, getting through spiritual trauma, there's a moment where you're like, this is not what I wanted. Correct. And I, and I don't know why we're having this conversation and I don't believe this could get any better. And I think sometimes when we're looking at a space, there is that moment where you're like, this is this is not going to be what I wanted it to be. And I remember you saying there was a bunch of stuff about the trailer that um, didn't go exactly as you guys had expected. Yeah. Well, it's so the the other lens I'm hearing is it's that's a similar process that happens in birth. There's this moment of transition where it's like, I can't do this. Like, I didn't know it hurt this bad. And, I, and I'm probably never going to have this baby. And mm. typically in that moment of wanting to bail is you're right on the precipice of things actually happening. And 
So I feel that literally, and then I feel that spiritually when I think about the process of deconstruction as well, that mm. we, usually we go into that the wasteland and it's like, what? I didn't know it would feel like this and that I'd lose everything and, and on and on and on. And then people can abandon the journey. And I think that that's right on the side of the promise. We're just on the other side of it's time to rebuild. And I think that's like staying the course, like maintaining what I am moving towards, like allows us to say, oh, there it was. I just wasn't there yet. (laughs) Like we just weren't done. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think there is something to be said about uh, a culture or society that has really, we have revved ourselves up and we you know, we're constantly producing, we have to make, make, make and do, do, do. And it means that we're um, sometimes easily like, well, this isn't working out and I need to abandon it. Mm-hmm. And Completely. because something new, you know, I've got, I've got to get, I got to get something else going. Yes. But there is something beauty, like beautiful in finishing a project and there nothing feels better. And that's why I, I joke with my friends. I'm like, just clean a drawer. Just one. <laughs> Totally, totally. Because oh, the, yeah. the control you feel in that is like, oh. And the same with uh, mm-hmm. redoing a, a project or making a space. It's like, okay, just do like one part of it. Totally. And that's a hard thing for me as someone who, um, you know, lives with ADHD. I I want to do everything all at once. And mm. all of it is in my head all the time. And I, I want to make that happen. And I want to make it happen today. And so yes. the process of slowing down and going, okay, what does it look like to finish this project? Because I'm a little bit different in that I have OCD and ADHD. <laughs> okay. So much fun. Um, <laughs> I have to finish it, right? <laughs> but it really bothers totally. me. So I try to finish all the things at once. And at that's once. not healthy and great. And I think some of us in this, I don't know if you're experiencing this, but so many people who um, are now working from home, which I kind of work half from home and half from an office usually. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little bit more used to the rhythm of it. have had this sense, okay, I have this time. I need to be the most productive in all of this time. (laughs) I think I've definitely seen like a, a duality in the sense of great intentions and then a like, oh man, how am I gonna do all of that? And So similarly, I think when you say like start with a drawer, I'm like, we'll just, it's something some of the time, (laughs) not everything all the time. (laughs) So I'm trying to tell people like, let's, if we can simplify that into what is one thing, you're not going to take on your whole life in a session. You're going to chip away at one thing. And there's always a place we start, not, not at everything. That would be rude. (laughs) Yeah. It's too hard. And it doesn't make sense to anyone. You almost have to like okay, here's where we're starting. We're going to talk about this. And even in therapy, it's like, okay, kind of bring one thing in instead yeah. of all at once. Because truthfully, there's trauma that happens when we, yes. you know, try to get all of it all at once. Yeah. Well, it's like, like how do you, what is it? Like, how do you eat a hippo, right? It's like one bite at a time. And like, why you're eating a hippo is the confusing part <laughs> to me. Well, you know, <laughs> those right times. <laughs> <laughs> we might get there. <laughs> yeah, I I can't imagine. There's a lot of damage that happens in the healing when we're trying to do things and we're just re-injuring ourselves. That does make me sad. Yeah. And I think exactly when you're trying to do all things at once, even in a space, it doesn't make any sense. And you have to sort of, the other piece too, is you have to sort of start with, I'm going to take everything away to mm-hmm. start again. Completely. Um, yep. And I have to be open to where this could go. And sometimes the space 
tells me yes. what it needs to be yes. in a different way. And the same with therapy. Like I can't say the goal of my therapy is this or the goal of my, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the goal of the inner work that I'm doing is this. And while I might have an idea, right. you have to sort of surrender the outcomes. Correct. Otherwise, we're it's a false prescription, right? Like if we know it, then it's not alive. It's just a, it's mm. a plan or a routine or something we're following, but it's not alive. And it, what we do, the work of healing is alive. It has a life of its own. So we can't possibly be that in control of it. <laughs> well, and we draw our own conclusions. I was recently um, speaking to a therapist, uh, the therapist I see actually, and I said, um, I, I, you know, I, I know how this is going to go. And I like listed <laughs> all these painful things and the sort of trauma circle that I've been in before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know this one and this is how it ends. And she was like, yeah, but what if it doesn't? Yeah. And it was kind of like, Hmm. Great (laughs) point. Because what if it doesn't? And that felt incredibly hopeful. Like I call it, (laughs) I call it the theology of hmm. (laughs) Because I always, I love the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. I always use it as the example of, you know, Joseph tells if you if you know the story, if you're not a person of faith, it is essentially the story of a brother who has dreams and he thinks they're about him, and then goes through all these things like literally Joseph Campbell's hero's narrative yes. to get to the point where he actually does save his family and his entire people group. But there's a scene where he's being a typical 17-year-old and tells his older brothers and his dad, like, I've had this dream and it's all about me and it's so great. And they're like, mm. the brothers, <laughs> they start to hate him in their heart. And the dad goes, huh. And that's literally what he says. And it says he ponders in the heart, which is the same words that we're told. Um, it, uh, in the story of Mary that she says before um, mm. when she finds out she's going to have Jesus, which is, hmm. <laughs> so I think so sometimes good. the idea of looking at um, our own lives or our own things and go, huh, hmm. is kind of the most faithful we can be when we yes. decide the outcomes or we understand how things are going to go. We really sort of, yeah, we we aren't faithful to the story. Mm, that's so good, Sarah. There's there's um we we stop resisting right because mm. i think we we think that when we know the outcome we actually think that we are in control but we're actually in resistance to the next thing and Ooh. it can feel safer to be in control of an unhealthy pattern than not in control of a potentially healthy new pattern yeah yeah you go with what you know even if what you know is not the the thing that will be most life giving. I, mm-hmm. you know, I think about even, you know, the the metaphor of the church building that I uh, yes. most yes. recently worked on, and I got to tell you, so many people were like, "Well, it doesn't work the way that it is," but I've always known it as this, and I've always mm. this is the way that it should be. And it's so interesting when we um, started changing things and moving things around people's imagination started yeah. to grow. Um, and these were the most resistant people. Yes. And they would have said, like, I'm holding on to this because, um, and they would have had great reasons, mm-hmm. and I'm all about restoration versus deconstruction. You know, demolition is different sure. than uh, than deconstruction. Totally. Demolition is to never use those things again, but I think to, like, reuse things in a way that um, opens up imagination and yes. it's just so hard to do when we have emotions and feelings about spaces. And I think your point about like, I like sitting in a place that has memory, like, mm-hmm. right. So your trailer, yes. when you're yes. in it, you may not know, but there's, 
there is a sense of memory of, mm-hmm. of an item or a place. And it's interesting how much nostalgia um, we are going through right now as a, as a people. Yes. Um, it's interesting to me how many young people want to come into my uh, church that I currently work at that's got this like very, uh, I don't know how to describe it other than it, it's a mission style church. Mm-hmm. And it and for some people, there's been baggage around, you know, if they grew up Catholic and or they grew up, um, you know, whether whatever their church background was. And so they're used to buildings like this, but they didn't have a positive experience. Correct. They bring that in because they're assuming they know yes. what that place is going to be. So if we can like just shift the way it looks. So yet there's familiarity, but there's newness. Right. Um, there is that like, oh, this place has memory but what if like i could be part of that story yes we're going to take a brief break from this conversation to listen to some messages from our sponsors that make this podcast possible hey friends are you registered to vote headcount is a nonpartisan organization that works with the music and entertainment industry to get fans to vote to update or check your voter registration status Go to headcount.org where you'll find all the information you need to be ready for election day. I mean, you got to check if you're voted registered to vote at your current address because, I mean, more than 60% of eligible voters have never been asked to register. Um, and headcount.org is working to change that. I checked mine recently, and guess what? It was not correct, so I needed to change it, and now it is correct. But sometimes these mistakes happen where you need to really check it out because it could mess up your voting. And Lord knows this election is very important. Um, Headcount is a nonpartisan nonprofit that tours with musicians to help concert attendees register to vote. Sick. But you don't need to leave your house to register or get voting info. Just head to headcount.org. Headcount. Head to headcount. Head to headcount. Register to vote at headcount.org. It's my favorite when I'm like, yes, bring in the baggage because that's what we need to have in order to get to the next thing. And I think people think that they're supposed to check their baggage at the door because it's not appropriate or it's not good or it's not, you know, just right. I'm like, no, no, bring the triggers in, bring in the memories, bring in the things that bothered you so much about that old place or that old person. Like, that's what the building is here for. And mm-hmm. and then there's an and. <laughs> And you're going to see that, oh, it's not that old building. It's not that old person. This is a new thing. And then they merge. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I think, again, it's that going back to feeling like, okay, I can let go of what I thought this was going to be um, in order to make room for what could be. Um, You know, it's the idea of cleaning out a closet and getting rid of all the clothes that you thought were going to fit. You know, or uh, letting go of something that, you thought was going to be the thing and you realize it's never been the thing. It's the feeling behind the thing. Totally. Uh, It's the sparking the joy or figuring out what joy is. You know, even the word joy for me is such a, I don't know what exact, I'm a joyful person. I think I laugh a lot, but I don't think I know what sparking joy until I sit and think about, okay, what is, what does joy feel like in my body, in my Mm -hmm. mind? Mm -hmm. Because it's so hard. We're so disconnected from all of those things. Totally. I know yeah. how to enable anxiety. I'm like, that's what that <laughs> anxiousness. I know what that feels like. You like nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> 
One of the things I wanted to, um, I just, oh, I so love talking to you. So I'm so excited I get to do this, uh, recording it, but you have created this incredible new way of doing therapy, not just because you do it in a trailer, um, because you've actually joined together some folks and you've started a collective. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I think this is making space for people emotionally and physically in ways that have never, never been done before. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I, um, I think I tend to want to create out of things that I'm hungry for. And I was like, I wish that like my therapist, my spiritual director and my Enneagram coach could all get together and like work on my behalf. (laughs) And so I, I started. You guys figure this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you do the work, dang it. <laughs> I brought you my story, now you figure it out. You Tell me what to do. <laughs> so I think that there's so many like pots we dip into when we're trying to work on ourselves. And there tend, there's a fissure between those different resources because we don't typically see spiritual direction in the same house as therapy and therapy in the same house as um, as church and church in the same house as Enneagram. And so wanting to gather a table of people that are resourced experts, I believe, in their field. And so we work holistically on behalf of every person that we work with. So someone comes in and they're looking for, and we all work online. So you work individually with each one of us and then we work collectively for you. So kind of what that means is if someone had um, wanted to come in and they wanted to understand their Enneagram type, then they are going to be working with an Enneagram coach. They're also going to be looking at embodiment and the way in which we carry our story and our body physically. We're going to do traditional therapy. Um, however, that's not super traditional because we're online and we're pretty... <laughs> Although that is how we're all doing it right now. Yeah, I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> this is great. And not great, but also really great because we're here and we know what to do. Um in the spiritual direction as well. It's, I think that we we go to the church with our pain and we have spiritual injury and spiritual trauma and we go to therapy, it doesn't really fit there. And so we also have a spiritual director on our team, someone to walk us through things that are maybe just outside of the realm of traditional talk therapy and really do fit in a, just like, in a, in the, like the wisdom tradition of helping us hold the thing and not necessarily have to answer the thing. So I love it. I'm yeah, I'm having so we're having a lot of fun. I really love the work we get to do. And you're working. Are you working mostly with women? We do work mainly with women. I we have like a a nice extreme of male clients. I just think that women are drawn to the collective because we're collective by nature. Mm. Yeah. And I think some of that has definitely been (laughs) culturally created, right? Yeah. Lone wolf. Mm hmm versus mm-hmm. women who sort of gather together. Mm-hmm. And it's not always been the healthiest. Correct. And that's that's something that in our own team, like we all have brought our own narrative into what it would be like to work with women and what women are like. And when we've brought that, honestly, because I, okay, so I'm a Enneagram, I understand myself as an Enneagram type four. I lead with authenticity and in the sense of we have to put our real things on the table here. And I think that's scary for people to be led by a four because it's like, 
I want the real thing, even if you think it's messy and ugly and gross and the worst. I'm like, I want it because it's real and that makes it beautiful and perfect in you and, and that's what I need. And, and so I think that has created this like unconventional storm of rubbing off the old narrative of how we understand women and how dangerous they are or how self-sabotaging um, they are or how all the things, all the stories that are there. And we've like built this new way of being together. And I think if nothing else, like radical wellness has been just as much for the team of women as it has been for the people who have like used us as a resource. Oh, wow. Yeah, because oftentimes folks who are doing therapy, once you're like doing therapy, how mm -hmm. would we say it? Who are the therapists? <laughs> Um, not really good at English. Uh, those are the people. I only speak for a living. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Guys, publicly. it's totally fine. We it's got great. it. It's good. Um, but the people who are the ones who are giving the therapy, uh, they often are, after they've done their observation hours, doing it alone. Totally. And They're so. So alone. How do you grow in that? How do you get support in that? Right. How do you. When you're especially you're supposed to like grab onto people's stories, mm -hmm. make space for their story, and then their stuff is in your space. Yes. And you're supposed to just like hold on to it. Alone. And hope that you're doing the right thing. Correct. Um, it's a sick system. Right. And so to be able to chat with other people about it, and I just think there is some beauty in collaboration in yes. a way that like m more happens. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, um. And we're losing that, I think, sometimes yep. because yep. we don't gather Correct. Um, in the same way. And I think, oh, I love the idea of someone sitting around. So they're not having to mine the same story again and again for different people. <sighs> totally. Oh, that's so well said. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. that's, the, that's the pain point. I remember I'd gone through a really traumatic season in my life and I was seeing a counselor. And it was really the first time I'd allowed myself to see a counselor. Um, cause for me, I was Canadian and we're just really good at making jokes through pain. Like that's, what, that's how I'm like, what do you, you want me to talk about this or do you want me to make jokes about it? Cause <laughs> totally. comfortable making jokes, not comfortable talking about it. So, uh, but I am, a as someone who identifies as an Enneagram two with a real strong three wing, um, I will care for you and I will care for you the best. Um, I had the sense of like, okay, I need to like work through this with someone and found a great therapist and then the therapist moved and I tell you what that mm. was the hardest feeling of like now I have to revisit all of this it's kind of like when you yeah. aren't dating someone anymore and you're like no well, they had my stories I don't totally. want to tell the stories again yeah, totally <laughs> so can you real. just call them and hear yeah. about the stuff <laughs> here's my references <laughs> Talk to my ex. <laughs> yeah. Here's my, talk to my ex therapist, talk to my ex human, whatever you need. I just, yep. here's my references. Yeah. And I love the idea of you guys helping people not have to do that and also sharing with each other how do we do this work together and yeah. not feel so isolated and alone. Are you, so you're directing it, you're not mm -hmm. seeing um, clients online anymore, are you? Or are you the therapist? I'm a little bit of everything right now. I, um, I love the work of, I really do feel like it's restorative work. It's an internal restoration. And so I lead the team. I do all of the, our intake work where I'm um, walking people through our process and mm -hmm. then connecting them to who I believe would be the best fit for them. So depending on, does that person need spiritual direction? Does that person need a therapist? What do they need from the team? And then we place them in the team. And then some, I do work with, um, I do work with some people. 
I'm just still trying to, I think I'm still trying to navigate on my, in my own career what I, yeah, where, where I want to land too. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you're always willing to say, is this, I, what I love about you, is this the thing for mm-hmm. forever or is this the right. thing for right now? Yeah. And maybe yeah, this I'm, is the thing mm-hmm. for right now, yep. but it's not the thing forever. Correct. Yeah. I, I'm comfortable with that, with being like, okay, this is where, where I'm at. But I want to, um, as I give myself that permission to evolve, I hope that my like team benefits from that risk and is willing to evolve alongside me of, whoa, I didn't know that we could do that. I didn't know that this was going to happen. I didn't know that we could do this online and together and share and lead from abundance rather than competition and scarcity. And so I'm, I'm open. You're a therapist <laughs> to therapists. I love it. <laughs> I think there is something to be said about the helping profession where um, we try to be a little more victorious and like, oh, you know, I don't, oh gosh, I don't have those, those things of like, I'm not in competition with other people, but we are, right? Um, Everyone, we we are. I don't think that's, I think it's a way in which we like move in the world, right? If we judge it, I think that's when we begin to give it like poison or something. Right. I love... um, a friend of mine, I was sharing that someone that I dearly love, um, just love her work, love everything she does. But it's been really hard for me because a lot of the spaces that I used to be able to um, speak into or um, was invited to speak at or or have wanted to be invited to speak at yes. this person. Um, it's almost funny. It's like always gets invited before me. And our work is very different. But um, I had this I was sharing this with a group and I had this moment where I was like, oh, I'm not, I really like them. It's more that I'm recognizing something in myself. Like it's information, it's data. It's helping me understand like, oh, that's a passion that I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. What does that, just because they're doing it. I mean, I had that thing when I got in your trailer the first time. I was like, I love this trailer. (laughs) Maybe instead of being like, I, oh, lucky Luckily, she gets this trailer, but instead, like, what would it look like to say, oh, like, I, what is this telling me about me? It's telling yes. me that, like, I actually have that same gypsy yes. heart that wants a trailer and wants to redo it and wants to redo it with a human. Like, I love the idea of your husband. Like, I wish I was redoing a trailer with a guy. Like, I feel like that would be such a incredible experience. And to allow that to be a hope and a dream and yes. not say, because you've had that hope and dream, I can't have that open dream oh it's so it's so right and that's you instead of looking at as a mirror you're looking at like as a window right Mm, i love that yeah yeah i think sometimes too when we talk about the idea of you know space makers because i've been trying Mm -hmm. to explain to people like what i what i'm doing like i have this idea about how we make actual space for each other like physical space like how we um not social distancing but how we actually like (laughs) change a room or make space in a way that welcomes people into proximity and relationship but also the work that we do to make space for people's stories make Mm -hmm. space for people's pain make space for people who are different than us and some people are like oh i get it And some people are like, what? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it's the thing that so many people have said to me is you make space for other people. Yes. Um, and I didn't realize that both of those things go together. Yes, yes, yes. But there is this, I don't know, there's just this great sense that both work is restoration and it is learning to see things as a window 
uh, learning to see things as an opportunity, learning oh. to see things, you know, as a mirror or not, uh, sorry, as a, you said mirror instead of a window, right? Window instead of mirror. Like it's a, Win- or it gets a window it. into myself rather than a mirror of my own reflection, right? Got like it. Yeah. Uh, or the idea of like, there is not enough room for you. I think yeah. sometimes when people yeah. are harshest about spaces, like I think about um, people who have not wanted to make space for um, mm-hmm. other women or haven't mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, oftentimes we're told women are hardest on women because we are afraid that there isn't enough room for yeah. us. Yep. And, and that's so, the story yeah. told to us as yes. a, you know, that's, that is what's told. Right. If, if they're doing it, you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that there's such an opportunity for us to make space for each other in just such a lovely way that says there's room enough for us everywhere. There's room enough yes. for all of us. We can all fit in this story together. And I even think as we're going through all that we're going through, where we're having to learn how to make space in our own homes and mm-hmm. learning how to do all the things that we're going through during even this epidemic, we're we're really learning to make space for other people that need us to be away from them because we could cause them um, illness, whatever it might be. And some people's reaction really is this idea of there isn't enough in the world. And so I need to grab mine, even the idea of like hoarding all the toilet paper, whatever it is. I mean, that really is a metaphor for how sometimes we treat the world. There's not enough out there. And so I got to grab what I can. And that's just a really isolating experience. Mm. I know. I feel like our, our social conscience has been reduced. And when we see like the volume dial turn up in chaos, then I think like scarcity goes right along with it. And then people like lose um, any other frame of reference for others. Mm. <laughs> it's like solely self-prez. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. And then other people can do the thing where they go, I don't want to think about me, so I'm going to think about everyone around me and how can I <laughs> totally. take care of everyone's needs. And I found myself like in the midst of that uh, when all of this started where I'm like, all right, what, who needs what, who can I check in with? Like, how do I, and then you have to pause and go, yep. Oh, am Wait I okay? Wait a second. Yeah. Do I have what I need? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another form of self-prez is I can avoid my own pain by making sure I'm taking care of everyone else's. Right? Yeah. And so depending on which seat we mainly sit in, then we have different ways of escaping ourselves in order to, like in the name of goodness, like in the name of service, it's just self-forgetting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love, I keep saying I love, but it's true. I love so much about that idea of letting, um, you know, letting ourselves have some grace in Mm -hmm. the midst of things and then Mm -hmm. therefore being able to have grace for other people in the midst of it. Different people react differently to whatever it might be. Different people react to trauma differently. Um, A lot of times when we're having to be a gathered body, whether it's a church or a community or however we're making space for other people, again, we have to surrender the outcome of how they're going to experience that. Mm. Um, I learned that early on working with deconstructed people that things would trigger people that I was like, that, what? (laughs) that thing yeah how does that trigger what and so there were two options either to be paralyzed and not do anything or change anything or to like kind of create space in a way um and i think i first heard hillary mcbride say but i'm not sure um hillary's a therapist but she the idea of brave space so the Mm -hmm. places where i'm willing to say ouch that hurt me and then you say oops i'm sorry and then we kind of heal yes and i think so many spaces that we're creating for people 
um, either are sort of a false everybody belongs and we're never going to talk about the hard stuff because we don't want to offend anyone. Totally. And that's totally. a paralyzed. Yes. Or we create space in such a way that like everything triggers everyone and no one is willing to forgive the other. Yeah, and both of them need a, <laughs> a different spot to land. Right. And yeah. I think you've been uh, part of church communities before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. where... In fact, you had to exit a church community <laughs> yeah. um, because there was this idea of it needs to look and be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Of who's in, who's out, and who says that. Right. Yeah, who gets to decide who's in and out? Yeah. I mean, so much of that is um, fear. And power, right? There's just mm-hmm. such a, like a, which is fear, which is, <laughs> which is scarcity, which is fear, which is scarcity, which is fear, and it just snowballs into... I will grab all the power and make all the choices for those who don't have it. And that is not a healthy way for you or the person because it really takes away your humanity as well as the humanity of the other person. Yeah, I think the, the, the lie is that we have to stay. And I think the gift is I don't have to be here anymore and there are other communities. And so it's okay for me to pack up my tent and move. Mm hmm. And it might be painful and you'll have to build Mm -hmm. another thing. Yeah. And it's hard, but it's what you said earlier. You, sometimes we stay with what we know. Yeah. Um, And if a space isn't brave and willing to say, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. then you have to, uh, you have to pack your bags up. There's, did you ever see the comedian? um, I forget her name all of a sudden, but it's elder millennial. Oh, I haven't. Oh Oh, my goodness. It's so good. As an elder millennial. So good. And she talks about dating as an elder millennial, dating in your late 30s, and how you like bring your baggage and you meet someone, then you're like, oh, I think I'll unpack my bags here. <laughs> and, I, and it's really, you stay with the person that's okay with the stuff you unpack. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, think I, I, I know who you're talking about. I see her. I see her in my mind's eye. <laughs> she's amazing. Um, we will look it up. I'll put a link in the show. Watch it, everyone. <laughs> Especially to understand those of us in that age bracket. Totally. Um, there is this real sense of spaces need to be willing for you to unpack your baggage. They need to not demand that you do it right away. They need to do it in a way that, yeah, just allows people to have their baggage, bring it, because we all we all have it, Yep. look at it, and at the same time, be okay with each other's baggage, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and then to be able to acknowledge that if that's not happening, it's okay to say, this is not a safe space. Mm-hmm. And or I will not be complicit in in creating spaces that aren't safe for everyone. And I think yeah. that we think that spaces, nominally churches, are supposed to be safe, yeah. or a therapist's office that they're supposed to be healthy. And it is also true that therapist offices are not always healthy, and that churches are not always safe. And if you experience that, you're not the one who's wrong. Nope. The space, the space is damaged. And if that's the case, you have permission to pick up your stuff and say, I need a new space (laughs) and I get to have that. And I don't have to just go with what I know. And that's sometimes the scariest thing, but that's when uh, the moment of creativity happens. Yes. Um, Life. And things can be used in a different way than they ever were used before. Just because you're letting go of a part of it doesn't mean you're letting go of all of it. I, I find that often with folks that I work with, the idea of deconstructing their faith, there is that moment where they're like, do I have to let go of everything? And it's like, no, you just have to let go of what you need to. 
Totally. And that's and up to that's you. That's different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's different for all of us. You know, there's some things that like, some of us really need to let go of. And some of us are like, I don't know, that didn't offend me. Like that was not a thing. That was not a part of my deconstruction process. And it's the same thing with when we look at our, um, our spaces at home. What are the yes. things we need to get rid of? Because they're yep. not serving us anymore. And mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're intrinsically saying that thing is wrong. Right. Some things are. Right. There are definitely things that are wrong. Um, <laughs> but there are, you know, maybe it's right for someone else. And getting rid of something or moving beyond something doesn't mean that you're putting any sort of value on it just because it doesn't spark joy in you just because a community doesn't work for you anymore. I think the healthiest people are the people I meet that have walked out of communities and said, yeah, it didn't work for me. Right. Well, I think it's like the butterfly doesn't accuse the cocoon of being bad. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a necessary part of the beautiful evolution. We're like, thank you. Thank you, space that held me and taught me and allowed me to become who I am. And I'm going to fly now. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes. Yes. I am so uh, grateful for that. I love that you have this. I just have this vision of you in that trailer, (laughs) driving around, helping people unpack their bags, inspiring them. Um, It's it's a weird uh, time to be in, but it it is is an incredible time to have opportunity for us to look at how do we do community differently. Big time. What does it look like to build spaces that can maintain distance? Correct. Um, Especially now. Oh. Now more than ever. Yeah. Um, I am so grateful that you were willing to get in your closet and talk to me because I know <laughs> that you have children's at home. Um, and uh, and my in the middle of it, I hopefully we'll be able to take it out. But my phone rang because I'm you know still in a working office. I love it. I but love it. I would love for you to mm-hmm. just share, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. one tangible way uh, that people can make space for others. And you've shared lots of great ideas. But what do you think? Yeah. Um, what comes to my gut is um, be willing to go first. So mm. when you think of maybe we're hoping that someone's going to come along and open the door for us, maybe we go first. Go first with your honesty. Go first with your bravery. Go first with your invitation. Go first with sharing your story. Go first with cleaning out the drawer. Go, just go first. And I, I think people are... They see it and they're like, oh, I can do that too. I want to do that too. And so don't wait. Go first. I love that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Sarah. Oh my gosh, it was great. Thank you for listening today. And I hope that you got as much out of that conversation as I did. Check out Elise and the Radical Wellness Collective online. They send out so much great content. Elise challenged us to be willing to go first. Whenever you feel like something needs to be done or said, or maybe a space needs to be made, maybe that might be a nudge that you should go first. So friends, what is one area of your life where you can go first? Where's one area where you aren't willing to wait for someone else to go first? This week's inspirational quote was inspired by this conversation and comes from Eckhart Tolle. Surrender to what is, say yes to life, and see how life suddenly starts working for you rather than against you. Making Spaces is edited by Stephen Burnett from The Cult Popcast. The introduction music is It Can Be Done by Ari via Epidemic Sound. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And leave us a review. It helps other listeners find us and let us know that we're on the right track. <laughs>